It may slow the rate of cognitive decline, something that I'm very interested in. I want to preserve this brain for as long as possible. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 166. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome, welcome, veggie lovers. Another special episode of Veggie Doctor Radio. I am doing a monologue solo episode today on leafy greens. I am going to be going through a lot of different types of foods in the plant kingdom so that we can learn some interesting facts and also what the benefits of these foods are. And for this episode, something that I did that's even more special is I got audio clips from both my mom and my dad. You'll see where that fits in a little bit later, but hopefully you'll find it interesting. I also found that it was super fun So I would love to incorporate listener questions again. I know that I tried that before and I only got like a couple of questions, but I would love to do it again. So if you have a question, you want to send me a voice note or a voice memo on Instagram, or you can send a voice note to my email, yami, Y-A-M-I at dryami.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. Let's try it. Let's try it out. And I'll integrate some listener questions into my episodes because it's super fun. All right, so let's talk about leafy greens. I have my notes here. Before I forget, I need to thank Courtney Bostrom, who helped me do some of the research for this episode. Thank you, Courtney. Hope that you are well. I really appreciate your time contributing to my knowledge in this area. So first of all, what are leafy greens? So leafy greens are also known as salad greens, pot herbs, I've never heard that term before, vegetable greens, or just greens. We just call them greens. So they're basically the leaves on a plant that we eat as a vegetable. They sometimes come along with the stalks and the shoots, and there's over a thousand edible species of plant leaves in the world, over a thousand. That is a lot of variety. That is a lot of diversity. I know that I haven't scratched the surface in tasting all of them, and I learned some really cool, interesting ones from my dad when I had him send me a voice note. So what are the common leafy greens that we consume here in the States? Spinach, kale, cabbage, collard greens, chard, we have different kinds of chard, turnip greens, mustard greens, beet greens, lettuces, broccoli, cauliflower, Arugula is one of the greens that's becoming more popular and fancy. In the UK, it's known as rockets, and I'll tell you more about that. 
So what are the nutrients that are found in the greens? Well, first of all, they're low in calories because, you know, they're plants, but they're the lowest calorie density in all of the plant kingdom, but they have a lot of nutrients. So they're low in calorie density, but they're high, super ultra high in nutrient density. And this is going to blow your mind. When it comes to protein, if you compare calorie for calorie, leafy greens and animal flesh, greens have more proteins per calorie. If you compare them by weight, it's different because they don't weigh very much, right? But when it comes to calories, they actually are packed with more protein. Because where do you think that the plant eaters get their protein from? They're getting it from greens. They're eating grass and leaves and all of those things. So they're, they got to get it from somewhere, right? They're getting it from the plants. So don't forget that. When it comes to, ca- when it comes to protein, calorie for calorie, leafy greens are at the top. That's amazing. Of course, fiber, you know, it's my favorite F word. So many advantages there. So a great source of fiber. Vitamin C, pro-vitamin A, carotenoids, folate, manganese, vitamin K, calcium, iron. So calcium and iron, which are very important nutrients found in leafy greens, zinc, potassium, and nitrates, which we will elaborate on in a little bit. Some of the nutrients in greens are destroyed by cooking, but other ones are made more absorbable by cooking. So we do want to be mindful to eat a mix of both raw and cooked greens. And I'll tell you more about ways to incorporate greens at the end. So given that they have those nutrients so high in nutrient density, I mean, leafy greens are just one of the top ways that we can get our antioxidants. What health benefits do they lend? Well, they may help decrease the risk of many types of cancers, especially the cruciferous vegetables. The antioxidants in leafy greens reduce damage from free radicals, which we're getting constantly. We're getting damage from free radicals all the time, all day long. Some things give us more damage from that, but it's not, there's never a time we're not getting it. So it's good to have something that can combat that free radical damage. It supports our eye health. It may slow the rate of cognitive decline, something that I'm very interested in. I want to preserve this brain for as long as possible. Improves our cardiovascular health by increasing nitric oxide. May help lower our cholesterol. May decrease facial wrinkling. Yes, positive. May improve dental health may improve immune function, and may improve mood. So there's been some studies to show that our food really does affect our mood. And those people that eat more fruits and veggies, and specifically more leafy greens, may have decreased rates of depression and anxiety. So there's so many reasons that we should be focusing on trying to get these leafy greens in our diet. You may have heard of oxalates. And I know that I've talked about the plant paradox on this podcast before, and there are a lot of things that are misunderstood, but oxalates are also known as oxalic acid. So it is considered this umbrella term of an anti-nutrient. Why? 
it's because it can block the absorption of several nutrients. But where do you find oxalate? You can find it in many plants. The human body can also synthesize it. We can make oxalates as well, and we can metabolize it from vitamin C, which is present in a lot of plant foods. Some plant species have higher amounts of oxalates than others, and I'll tell you which ones those are. But what happens is that this acid, oxalic acid, it binds to calcium. And because it binds to it, you end up excreting it. So pee it out, poop it out, then it's not going to get absorbed. So the plants that have higher amounts of oxalates or oxalic acid may make it more difficult for you to obtain the adequate amount of calcium that you need. However, when I've read more into this, whenever we eat a variety of greens, as long as we're not focusing on just eating the greens that have high oxalic acid, then we're fine because we eat a lot of different things throughout the day. The body knows how to deal with it. So we do want to be mindful that we're not only eating greens that are high in oxalic acid. And then the other group of people that maybe you know, want to be mindful of the oxalates is people that have calcium oxalate kidney stones. So there are a group of people, there's different kinds of kidney stones that you can get. One of them is called calcium oxalate. So that's the kind where it's, the calcium is bound to the oxalate. So whenever you're taking in too much oxalate combined with not enough calcium, then you can form these stones. So those people are advised to be mindful of their intake of oxalic acid. They're usually working with a nephrologist who can help them determine how much they should be taking. So which ones are the greens that are really high in oxalates? Spinach is crazy high in oxalates, okay? It's like, if you look at the comparison between some of the other greens, it's like off of the chart. So that one is definitely an outlier, which is why you may have heard us say that spinach is a rich source of calcium, but the calcium in spinach is not as absorbable. It's not because there's something wrong with the calcium. It's because it also has a lot of oxalic acid in it, a lot of oxalates in it. And so then it just gets bound up and then we don't get to absorb it. Okay. So meh, too bad. Okay. Beet greens and Swiss chard. So spinach, Beet greens and Swiss chard. Beets also have a lot of oxalic acid in them. So you can remember beets and beet greens and then Swiss chard, okay? Regardless, this doesn't mean that you should never eat spinach or beet greens and Swiss. If you like it, definitely eat them, but don't only eat those greens. And if you have a history of calcium oxalate kidney stones, you want to be careful. You want to be mindful. And there's lots of foods that have oxalates in them, not just greens. So that's just something to know. So how much greens should we be eating? Well, first of all, nine out of 10 Americans are not reaching the daily minimum of fruit and vegetable intake, 90%. 90% of people in this country aren't even getting to the minimum amount of fruits and veggies. And on average, we're consuming zero Point two servings of dark green veggies per day. And I assume some of that is what's being counted from the lettuce on your burger, <laughs> I suspect, because a lot of it we're getting from mixed meals, okay? We want to consume at least two and a half servings of vegetables per day, minimum. Obviously, if you can 
eat more, go for it. I eat a lot more than that, but minimum 2.5 servings of vegetables per day and aim to eat at least half of that in your green, your dark green vegetables, which includes your leafy greens. How much is a serving? Half a cup of cooked greens and one cup of raw greens. Now, you've probably seen the meme going around with the picture of how much spinach they cooked and how much like how much raw spinach they started with and how much cooked spinach was left and it's hilarious because whenever you cook greens because they're so high in water content, so low in calorie density, they cook down a lot. So you need a lot of greens to make a half a cup. So just know that it you know, it is a lot of greens even though it seems like it's not very much. And remember that we want to eat a mix of raw and cooked because they have different nutrients that can be absorbed better either in the raw or the cooked. We don't want to micromanage and try to get down to all the nitty gritty. Just be mindful. If one day it's hot outside and you just want to eat a bunch of salads, great. Maybe the next day you steam it or you roast it or air fry it or whatever you want to do. Let's talk about cruciferous veggies because these literally, I love cruciferous veggies. It's some of my favorites. So they're a group of vegetables that originate from the brassica family, and that's the cabbage family. Their name is derived from their four-petaled flowers that look like a cross. So cross, crucifer, cruciferous. It includes arugula, bok choy, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, Broccoli and Brussels sprouts and bok choy are literally my favorite leafy greens. I could eat them every single day, especially air fried Brussels sprouts with some balsamic vinegar. Oh my God, my mouth is watering. Cabbage, I love cabbage. I can also eat that every day. Cauliflower, kale, chard, collard greens, mustard greens, and watercress. So it's a lot of different leafy greens, veggies that are considered cruciferous vegetables. What's so good about them? Well, they're rich in something called glucosinolates. I'm probably saying that wrong. Glucosinolates, which help fight cancer. So sulfurophane, sulfurophane, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Those words are really difficult for me to pronounce, but you'll hear people talking about it. Sulfurophane is the biologically active breakdown of this glucosinolates. And it may lower the risk of breast, pancreatic, bladder, lung, prostate, and breast cancer. And if you follow Dr. Michael Greger and you do his daily dozen, he definitely recommends at least one serving per day of these cruciferous vegetables. And I believe, I should have written this down, but I believe that for the vegetables, especially like broccoli, If you chop it up beforehand and let it sit for a few minutes, you actually get more of that product that's released, uh, more of that enzyme that's released from the vegetable. Let's talk about nitric acid. So have you heard of natural nitrates, nitrates? So leafy greens are a good source of natural nitrates. You may have heard of the term nitrites with an I instead of an A. So this is what they add to processed meats. We know that nitrites are not good for us. Nitrites can harm us and processed meats especially have been linked to different types of cancers, including colon cancer. But natural 
nitrates may have health benefits. They are converted to nitrite by bacteria in our saliva, and then that nitrite is converted into nitric oxide in our body. And guess what nitric oxide does? It dilates blood vessels. It relaxes blood vessels, and that is why it helps improve cardiovascular function. It helps reduce our blood pressure, may preserve endothelial function. That is the lighting of our blood vessels, so we want that to be healthy and not to be full of atherosclerosis, not to be too tight so that we don't get increased blood pressure, and it can enhance exercise performance. So there's definitely mixed evidence on this, but you have probably heard of some athletes using things like beet powder or beet juice before or after their athletic event that they're doing, and they may feel that it helps them. And the reason could be because of this increased nitric oxide release. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. DrYami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. I recently interviewed uh, Dr. Song Wan, and he is a physician in Texas, and he does regenerative medicine. And he was saying that by the time we're 60 years old, our ability to convert to nitric oxide has dropped by 85%, which is dramatic, which means that as we get older, we have to be more and more mindful of making sure that we are maximizing the foods that are high in these nitrates that we can convert into nitric oxide. And also... Because remember I mentioned that the bacteria in our mouths help do that first conversion. Don't use mouthwash. And he said this in the podcast too. So if you're interested in this, check out the podcast. I think it's 163, so just three episodes back where he talks about how mouthwash, you're killing all the natural bacteria, the microbiome of your mouth. And so then you have decreased function of those bacteria that are able to convert over to the nitrite, which then gets converted to the nitric oxide. So yay for greens, yay for nitric oxide. We want to keep our blood vessels healthy, our, our heart pumping well, decrease our blood pressure. All right, so I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here and talk about something that was like super fascinating to me as I was doing research for this episode. Have you heard of famine food? Well, famine food is a readily accessible and inexpensive food used to feed people in times of hunger and starvation. It may be plant or animal foods, it's just whatever you can find that can keep you alive, but it's usually wild. And of course, it varies culturally, it varies over time. Things like cassava, sweet potato, and beetroot at some times have been considered famine foods. And why that's interesting is that in times of plenty, 
usually those foods are associated with stigma because they're considered poor people food, peasant food. But what's interesting and the reason that this came up is on the research I was doing over and over again, they would talk about some of the leafy greens and they would say, it's been used as famine food. And around the same time, I found the Instagram account of the Black Forager, who is a vegan person who forages for food in the city in Columbus, Ohio, of all places. And it blew my mind, but then it also took me back to when I remember my dad talking to my kids. We would go on hikes and he would stop and be like, hey, this is such and such, and you can eat this, and it tastes like this, and yeah, I wasn't paying attention, but now I'm super fascinated by this because wild greens are all around us, and there's so many, like I said, over a thousand species of edible greens, of edible leaves from plants, and we have lost a lot of this knowledge. Like, I don't know what I can eat out there, but I really want to learn more about it. So I want you to listen to this clip from my dad. So this is my soul dad, my stepdad. I did not grow up with him. Otherwise, maybe I would have learned some of this stuff and hopefully I can still learn some of it. But what's really interesting is that he grew up in Southern Ohio, rural Southern Ohio, okay? Like, very small. I've been to the house where he was born. So cool. And I want you to hear him talk about what his mother, Grandma Cooper, who's still alive, what she used to forage for in the springtime when there were a lot of greens. So let's listen to him talk about the wild greens in Southern Ohio. Hello, darling daughter. Just need to send you a message here. I had to write some things down because my memory's not what it used to be, and I just couldn't remember everything that uh, we used to pick and eat. So I, got a, I wrote down a list here to tell you, if I can find it where I put it now. There we go. Okay, uh, first off, I'll start off with uh, what I used to go with mom when I was a kid, and my mom knew the plants. I didn't. I'd go along as a, as a kid, and She'd try to show me things, but I was more interested in bugs and lizards and frogs and things like that, so I never learned a whole lot. But some of the things I, I, I did and I still remember. Uh, we could start off with wild lettuce. That was a good one that she would pick. And Shawnee, I don't know really what Shawnee is, and I, I, I don't even think you can look it up. It's some kind of a green. Yellow rocket. Now, yellow rocket is, we didn't know it at the time, but yellow rocket is the darling of the salad world now. It's called arugula when it's tender and young. But as it grows up, it has a, real, a white, a yellow, a yellow flower on top of it, and it grows tall, and and the fields are full of it. Fields are full of it, growing wild. So we were eating arugula and didn't even know it. How lucky we were! Another one uh, is curly dock, which is a, it's a green. You had to cook it, and there's one called burdock, which is a bigger, big, huge leaf. Uh, apparently, they eat it in other countries, but we never ate much of it. We used it as a a medicine plant, you could clean yourself with it. It was good for hemorrhoids. That's one thing. Now, another one, Persane, P-U-R-S-L-A-N-E, Persane, which I didn't know anybody else ate that. But, you know, in Yakima, I went to the uh, farmer's market one time, and there was these Mexican farms, and they had just piles and piles of Persane there. And that's what we used to eat. I, I didn't know, know people, anybody else that had to eat that. 
uh, stinging nettles. When they're small, they're they're good. You can cook them and and they're delicious. They don't sting you. But when they get bigger, you walk through a patch of those and you got like a, a hundred bee stings on your arms and legs. Dandelions. The whole plant is edible. We used to pick the blossoms when it bloomed. We'd wash them real good in some salt water, get the bugs out, and then we would uh, roll them in a little bit of cornmeal and fry them. Really good. The leaves, of course, edible. The root, again, edible. You can eat it all. You have to cook the root. Leaves, you can eat raw or cook them. Uh, what else we got? Wild spinach, also called goose uh, root. I don't know much about that one. I know mom would pick wild spinach, but I really don't know much about it. But I think that's one of the ones you have to cook because it might be a little toxic. Pigweed was another one. I, I remember the name, but again, don't remember what it looks like or anything else. Now, a real good one that grew wild was ramps. And ramps was like a, a mild leek. And it, there was not a bulb at the end of it. It was just a, the, like the green of an onion. But they still, I, I think they still do. They did a number of years ago. They have a leek festival in West Virginia. It's, it's really a good edible wild plant. Of course, there was wild onions. Had to be careful there. Some of them were a little bit toxic, but if you knew what you were doing, the wild onions, wild garlic, uh, you could use some of those. Very strong, though. Very strong. Very small bulb. Very strong. Garlic mustard. I'm not familiar with that one, but I know Mom used to pick it. And uh, wild mustard is another one which kind of looks like uh, the yellow rocket, only it's got a white flower instead of the yellow flower. Cattails. You can eat the tuber, the small uh, stems of the cattails when it's tender is good. The, the, you can eat the, the root and uh, uh, wild carrots. You got to be careful there. Green Anne's lace smells like wild carrots, but it's I think it's toxic. I'm not sure. We never ate that. Only we knew what it was, and we but we never ate it. Now wild uh, grapes. We we used to forage for wild uh, forage for wild grapes. We call them possum grapes. They're, they're about the size of a, of a green pea, and but they are so delicious. They are they are really delicious, and uh, and uh, we would we would get those, and you could you could take the seed out, but and then you just had a really you know, semi tart, semi sweet taste, really, really wonderful taste. And also when you're going with the wild grapes, which grew along wastelands and so forth, you got to be careful of what what they called a moonshine grape in it. It wasn't that they made moonshine from it. It was just the fact that the seed inside was shaped like a crescent moon. Now, those are poisonous, so you don't eat those. Uh, what else we got? Well, also, we had uh, wild ginger. You could eat that fresh or dry. We didn't use much ginger. We didn't. In fact, we had, Mom didn't cook anything that had ginger in it except gingerbread. And you made gingerbread with a lot of sorghum molasses. And it was delicious. I love gingerbread. Uh, elderberries. You can eat elderberries. Dad used to make some wine out of them. But then he couldn't drink it either. But he gave it away and all the other hillbilly winos would drink it. Poke plant. The poke plant is, a, it, when it's young, you can eat it as a green, a salad green. As it gets older, it has a, like a hollow stem, hollow tube, about as big around as a quarter. And you can slice that and you can fry that. And it's kind of like an okra uh, taste to it. Uh, wild asparagus. Now, we there was some wild asparagus in that area. But for some reason, we never did eat wild asparagus. And I don't know why. There had been some kind of a myth about it being poisonous or something. I don't know. Chicory used to grow along 
all the all the roads and in the ditches and every place else. Chicory is a plant that the plant itself is kind of a woody stem, but you you can eat the root. You take the roots and you dry it and grind it up, and you got a, a coffee substitute. In fact, you can still buy a coffee. And I can't, I, think, I don't, can't remember the name of it, but it uses half chicory root. It's a southern coffee, and but there was plenty of that, and, and we used to get the roots of that. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Can't remember wild lettuce. I think that's about all I can. Oh, nuts. <laughs> we kind of competed with the squirrels and, and the varmints for the nuts. Now, we, we had wild uh, uh, filberts, hazelnuts, and we collected those. Black walnuts. We always tried to keep a, a, a stock of black walnuts because they made really good for, uh, maybe it was good for uh, putting a, a cake or a dough of some sort. And they were, they were plentiful at one time, but then uh, I think all the trees had been cut down for the wood because the wood was very popular. We would collect those, and they come in, the shell is green, and when it gets black, or the, the outer shell, and you take and stomp that off. And the, the black stuff that come off is very pungent, the black shell part, that the, the not, not the nut part, not the hard shell of the nut, but it has a, a soft uh, coating around it. And you save that. And you can boil. I, I had a I had a few steel traps as a kid, and I would boil my steel traps in uh, in the uh, in the black walnut water, water or black walnuts, and that would give them a, a natural oily coating. And also, you could use it for a dye. It made a, it made a real nice green dye if you want to dye dye something with it. And also, we boil it your your traps in that and and the uh, whatever you're trying to catch, whether it's fox possums or what. They couldn't smell the human scent on it, and I used to I used to have an old pair of gloves that I would handle the, the black walnut holes in that too, to, so that when it was working with the, the traps, the, the varmints wouldn't smell the human smell on it. Uh, berries. We, my mom and I picked berries one summer, and I may have told you this before. We picked enough berries, wild blackberries, that she canned 100 quarts plus what we ate all through the summer of fresh blackberries and several cobblers she used to make and things like that. And we uh, we had good luck, especially every year we'd done that, but we had really good luck that year. We picked that many wild blackberries. Uh, let see what else we got here. I think that's about all I got. I know uh, the blackberries was a, was a treat, but also this is only at certain the springtime of the year. There, there's in, in Later in the summer, in the fall, there aren't there, there's nothing you can forage from. That's the whole thing. That's when you get the nuts, of course. But there's no green plants. So we subsisted a lot on at that time. Uh, we dad, my dad was a, was a was a, a, a very good marksman as as I grew up to be. And we he would hunt and he and you know we he would my mom would can squirrels rabbits. All, all, every kind of animal he could kill because we had to have that to get through the winter. And in her canning process, she didn't have a pressure cooker for, for a long time. As I got a little older, then she finally got a pressure cooker and a gas stove. But in the early years, we had, we had a, a, some rocks out in the yard and uh, built a fire in them and we set a number three wash tub on it. And uh, she'd boil the jars can, that stuff she had canned, with, and it had some kind of a piece of tin I know we covered it with. And my job was to keep a, keep a fire going. 
not not a not a great way to to can things because sometimes the jars would break in there. Of course, we just used she used any kind of jars she could get. She didn't buy all Kerr or Mason jars to to can in. Just whatever we could get. So, but then finally she got the pressure cooker and it made a big difference. It made it a lot, a lot easier. And uh, so, but as far as foraging, uh, I don't know what we f could forage in the in the fall, in the summer and fall. There's not much much you can get. But we did have to preserve things. We had after a while. Uh, in the beginning, we didn't uh, we we didn't have any. Uh, any way to have a garden. We didn't have any, any land or anything like that. But later, after after when I was a teenager, we had we started having big gardens. We had corn, and we raised we raised a thousand pounds of potatoes every year. We had enough to dig a thousand pounds, ten hundred pound sacks that we put in a cellar, and that would uh, that would feed us through the winter until uh, you could dig new potatoes the following uh, uh, early summer. So that's, uh, and then mom would can, we do, do cabbage, we grow cabbage, and the cabbage, you just dig a big furrow in, in, uh, in, your, in the ground, and you pull it up with a root, and you turn it upside down, and you cover the head down in the furrow in the ditch, and you cover it with dirt, and it'll, it'll stay for several months there, a couple of months at least. Turnips, turnips is a good winter crop, last, they're a late crop in the fall, you dig your turnips, and, and they'll kill the keep through the winter, we like potatoes. Uh, we grew, uh, we, we, mom and I used to help mom a lot in the garden, but we grew everything. We grew uh, Brussels sprouts, we grew, we grew all kinds of green beans, and there was one green bean that my brother still saved the seed, and I, I thought about getting some and, and bringing it to Panama. It's called, uh, it's called, it's a flat bean, like a, like an Italian flat bean, only it's, when you cook it, it turns kind of purplish, and you could we dried those string leather ridges. We would take a needle and thread and dry those during the, uh, when they were on, and use them during the winter because they're dry. Then you boil them, and they turn back kind of green and purple, and they're just like eating that fresh green bean again. So there, uh, for a while there it was kind of tough, uh, but we uh, we were able to, to get through to where we had a little better. A little better economic situation after Dad finally got a steady job, and and uh, my mom says that uh, she raised her kids in two stages. There was my older sister Shirley and me and Ronald. Because Ronald was mostly a baby, he never he grew into where the prosperity. But Shirley and I, we had it a little rough. And the, uh, the last three, John, Kelly, and my baby sister Jacqueline, they had a lot better because we had we had. Dad had income. We had money coming in, and so. But that was tough after the after the war years for quite a while. But anyway, that's about all I can remember. I know there was there's a lot I'm forgetting, and I, I just I, sometimes I want to kick myself for for not learning more from from about the plants and uh, and also from uh, from my dad about uh, my dad was a mechanical genius, but uh, I hated mechanic work, and uh, but he taught me how to shoot and how to hunt and. Uh, course uh, and I taught the rest of the boys I guess but uh, yeah it was uh, it's it was an experience and uh, don't know if I want to do it again or not but I think if if there ever would be an apocalyptic situation world like you see in the, you know some of the uh, fan fantasy movies I think I might have a better chance to survive than uh, some people who were born 
much later than me. Love you, sweetheart. Hope this helps you. I hope it's going, going through. It's the first time I've tried to send one of these. I hope you get it, and I hope you can understand it. Uh, missing you. I love you, and I will talk to you another day. So isn't that super, super interesting? I thought that that was so fascinating. Okay, so let's contrast that to my mother who grew up in rural Panama. So both of them around the same time, different countries, different climates, but very similar in that they both didn't have running water or electricity in their childhood homes. So they both grew up very poor, but my dad, Rodney, he grew up in a place that had these harsh winters, you know, Southern Ohio, it can snow a lot, gets really cold. And my mom grew up in a tropical country where there's pretty much year-round access to fruits. And what's really interesting is that her family, I guess, never learned about greens. And it, I did not grow up eating a bunch of vegetables. And that's why I tell people over and over again that we learn to like what we're exposed to. I was not exposed to a lot of vegetables growing up. I'm not a picky eater, I love all foods, but I had to learn how to incorporate those foods. I had to learn how to like those foods. And dad, he can cook up some greens so easy. He loves his vegetables, he loves greens. My mom, of course, learned to love vegetables too. Now she's a vegetable eater, but she did not grow up that way. So let's hear in contrast my mother's childhood and what she grew up eating? Well, to tell you the truth, I, would ne I don't remember ever, ever eating anything green. Uh, just mango and avocados and mamon and fruits. But in our diet, I remember was the main thing was rice, corn, um, beans, uh, we have coffee early stage in our life, milk, of course, cow milk, fresh cow milk, because we never buy that fresh from the store. Um, we have nanset that we make chicha. We uh, have meal. We never had the sugar, or the refined sugar, never have. So it was meal that they are cooked themselves. So, but no, uh, did I remember ever going and get anything green to cook? I do not remember. I remember seeing green beans the first time when I went to elementary school in Macaracas that we did our own, uh, that was a class that called agriculture, and we plant our all green, uh, green beans. And I remember seeing green beans at that age, which I was probably about Desta's age. So that's all I remember about green beans. But lettuce and all that, I learned how to eat that actually. Uh, when I moved to the United States. And uh, because even when I come back from uh, college, in my house, never had that, uh, having greens. So they always had the basic rice, soup, and of course, they used yuca, ñame, otoe, that they did. Potatoes, no. i never seen pota potatoes are now, but in the past, you never see a potato. Uh, we had the pifa, we have the, uh, what else did they have in, the, in that time that we were going growing up? But, you know, hungry, I never was hungry. I remember being hungry because we satisfy ourselves with a lot of fruits. And there is a different stage of fruit, so we always have fruits. In the summer, they have some kind of fruit. In the winter, they have some kind of fruit. So, and we knew where to go. So that's 
basic is no wild greens at all. <laughs> is that sad? Maybe there were some, but we didn't recognize it. And uh, I don't know. Never. Okay, my darling. Love you. So anyway, I thought that you would find that so fascinating. I really did. And I love to incorporate the voices of my parents. I am going to be interviewing them for the podcast, hopefully soon, whenever we can find a time to record some episodes. Okay, so let's get on to the next topic, which is how do we incorporate leafy greens into our meals? Lots of different ways. So obvious, we can just make them plain. So we can boil them, steam them, saute them, put some little bit of vinegar or lemon juice and use them as a side dish to complement what we're eating. Of course, everybody knows you can eat a salad. That's pretty simple. And remember, if you have participated in the salad challenge, your salads don't have to be plain and boring. Please make your salad nice and hearty. If you are eating a salad as a meal, put your whole grains, put your beans in there, put some nuts and seeds, choose a tasty, yummy dressing, make it a whole thing, okay? Don't, don't treat it as this boring torture meal. It can be so fun and exciting. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. But of course, it, greens can be eating eaten on their own. We can also mix them into stir fries. I love putting like some spinach at the end of stir fries. You, it doesn't have to take that long to cook. Kale goes great into stir fries. You can use them as a base for rice and bean bowls, and this can be for either cooked or raw leafy greens. I love to get bags of shredded cabbage from the store and just throwing it into my bowls. That's my 
base. And what's great is the top, usually I warm up and then I put it on top of the raw cabbage. And then I have a mix of textures and flavors and it's so yummy and it's so filling. And remember, cabbage is a cruciferous vegetable. So if you do that, you're checking off your cruciferous vegetable intake for the day. Super easy. Throw them into stoops, stoops, stews and soups. I wanted to make that one thing, a stoop. A stoop is a stew and a soup together, which really isn't anything, but anyway, all right, I'm not funny. Um, stews and soups, throw them at the end because you don't want to overcook them. But one cool thing about putting it into stews and soups is that even some of the when some of the nutrients get released from the leafy greens, they stay in the soup. So that helps retain more of the soup because you're, you're drinking it. Incorporate into pasta dishes and casserole, same thing. Just throw it in there, mix it up, bake it, so delicious. Add to sandwiches and wraps. I love using salad greens, shredded cabbage, shredded kale, and putting it into my wraps and sandwiches. It's so yummy. Blend into smoothies, easy peasy for everybody. And adding leafy greens to your smoothies actually decreases the glycemic index, okay? So if you're worried about your fruit smoothie and you're worried about the spike in sugar and insulin that you're gonna get, throw a handful or two of greens in there, blend it up real good, and that helps blunt that spike. And it's yummy and you get the nutrients. It's even more absorbable sometimes when it's broken down like that. Sprinkle on top of pizza. If you've ever eaten at Mod Pizza, they will put greens on your pizza afterwards if you ask them to. I love it. It's like having a pizza and a salad at once. It's amazing. Mod Pizza, I love you, really. This is my heartfelt just declaration of love to Mod Pizza. Okay, as we wrap up this episode, some fun facts about leafy greens. The calcium in most leafy greens except for those high oxalate greens. Remember the high oxalate ones? So spinach, beet greens, and Swiss chard. Except for those, the calcium in most leafy greens is more effectively absorbed into the body than cow's milk. More effectively absorbed, sometimes by twice the amount, by two times. Kale has more vitamin C than oranges. Swiss chard really was named in Switzerland. I feel like they have a lot of things from Switzerland that Swiss something. Do we have that many American things that we name American food? Like we don't say American burger. Is, is the burger American? I thought it was. Anyway, let me know if I'm missing foods that start with American something, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. And arugula, like I promised before, the reason it's known as rocket is because it grows super fast. So it grows fast like a rocket, okay? So it's known as garden rocket in other countries, but here too. And as you heard my dad talk about it in his audio clip is that they called it rocket growing up as well. So I hope you learned a little something. Follow me on social media if you want to see these as infographs and get the recipe for the Mexican kale salad from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. That is so delightful and yummy and so great to eat even the next day and the day after as the flavors all meld into the salad. Thank you so much for your attention and for listening. I hope that this helps you eat more greens, be incentivized to eat more greens. And remember, 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 
If you're a picky eater, if you're not used to the flavor of greens, the only way to get over that is to continue to expose yourself to them. Start with a little, then add from there. Try all those different ways of preparing them and making them and see what you like best and just change it up and try different things. Thank you, veggie lovers, for listening, and I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here, and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening, and have a plantastic day.